Welcome into the Power Alley. If you're familiar with the podcast, I'm your host, Pat Melicaro. After the Washington Nationals won the World Series in a thrilling upset victory of the Houston Astros, we are now well into the offseason as teams are starting to shape their rosters in anticipation of free agency starting up very shortly. With that in mind, I caught up with Caitlin McGrath from The Athletic as recently Caitlin posted what she saw as a way forward potentially for the Toronto Blue Jays heading into 2020. But before looking ahead to what could be the roster for the Toronto Blue Jays next season, I started by talking to Caitlin about what was the 2019 campaign. And when you talk about last season, you have to start with the big three in Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Kevin Biggio, and Bo Bichette, and their emergence in the Blue Jays' everyday roster, especially over the second half of the season. And even though the wins were not there for the Toronto Blue Jays this past year, just what that meant to have those three develop into major league players. And that's where we start our conversation here in the Power Alley. When you look back at maybe the development of those three players and what Bo did specifically in the second half, I guess there are some success stories from this 2019 season. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. The thing is, going into this season, I don't think a lot of fans had high expectations for the Blue Jays to be competing for any kind of title or playoff spot. Obviously, we knew it was going to be a rebuilding year, and part of a rebuilding year is introducing young players to the major leagues. So starting with Laddie, and then Cavan came up about a month later, and then Bo was the last of the big three to come up. And I think they all made progress. Obviously, Vladdy was kind of in a category of his own. He had such high expectations coming into this year. He was the number one prospect. Everybody, you know, fans, uh, the media, everybody knew his name. Everybody knew uh, what he was kind of about and what he was able to do in the minor leagues. Um, you know, he, I think the expectations were probably higher than almost anybody could have achieved. I think that if you look at his overall season, it was good. It was above average. It didn't blow anyone's mind away, I think. And so there was a little bit of disappointment just because I think people had such high expectations. They thought that, you know, he was going to be easily a contender for the AL Rookie of the Year. And really, he struggled and he had such an up and down season that while at some points he did look like a superstar or, or a player that was going to develop into a superstar, there were other times where he really did struggle. Um, so that was sort of the story of, of his season, a little bit more up and down than maybe people thought it would be. Then you look at someone like Bo Bichette, who came up uh, right at the end of July, which was a sort of a turning point for the Blue Jays in that it was right around the trade deadline. So they were saying goodbye to some of the familiar faces like Marcus Stroman and Aaron Sanchez. And then they were introducing a player like Bo Bichette. And like you said, his season went better than probably anybody could have expected, uh, aside from the end where he was sidelined for the last couple of weeks with a concussion. But, you know, the number of records that he set, both rookie records as well as just major league records during his, you know, two months in the majors was, you know, really something to watch. And I think he maybe not necessarily surprised people because, it, he, again, he was a top prospect in the Blue Jays system and around the major leagues. But I think so much attention was paid to Vladdy on his way up to the major leagues that Bo kind of was a little bit overshadowed a little bit. So people just weren't quite as familiar about his 
uh, capabilities, um, and he really exceeded expectations. And then Kevin, I think, also exceeded expectations a little bit. He was really uh, impressed the coaching staff, I think, with his maturity, with his leadership. He just seemed to really um, kind of embrace being a leader, even though he's so young and in his rookie season. And he was also really impressive just with the way that he was so patient at the play. I think, I think that's always been a quality that he's had. And he was also able to adapt. So when he saw maybe pitchers kind of trying to exploit that patience a little bit, that he was always sort of waiting for his right pitch, and then he was striking out a little bit more than he wanted to, then he was able to adjust. And we saw him have a really nice sort of last stretch there. It was cap, you know, the, the highlight was obviously hit him hitting for the cycle, but overall, I think his last few weeks, however long it was, was really impressive. So I think all three of them go into next year with um, a lot of stuff to build off of. How much of the comfort level maybe with someone like John Schneider, who had managed all three throughout their time in the minors, did that help their progress in, in just having somebody that had coached them before and worked with them make it that much easier? Because the big leagues, we know, is so hard. But to have someone like John Schneider there, um, did it make it easier? I think it was nice for them to have a familiar face. I think vice versa. I think John Schneider enjoyed being there and being able to see the three three players. And there's a few more as well, like you know some of the other guys that came up. But the three main players that we're talking about, it was nice for John Schneider to see their progress um, during the struggles. I'm sure it helped some of them having a guy that they feel comfortable kind of confiding in um, and a guy who came up with them and have seen them uh, in the minors. There could be, you know, when you're a young player and you're maybe like struggling, there could be some sort of resistance to maybe opening up about your struggles. But to someone like John Schneider, because they know him so well, he's easy to talk to. He's a he's a good guy and he knows their game. So, you know, he's probably there for encouragement or, he, he you know, he can look back and say, well, I've seen you do this. I've seen you do that. You know, he has faith in them. He has belief in them. I think it was really helpful. And I think it's a good dynamic for the coaching staff to have a guy like John Schneider that does have that comfort with these young guys. And just reading your article on The Athletic about the 2020 10-step plan for the Blue Jays, one of those bullet points is the conditioning of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. going into next season. How much was it a struggle maybe down the stretch of 2019 and learning from the fact that um, the big league season is longer than the minors and what it takes to be ready going into spring training in February. Um, how, how much of that was a learning experience for, for Vladdy? And uh, how much do you expect him to maybe come in next year with a different uh, perspective or it, maybe it just, just playing in better shape going into 2020? I think that this year was a major learning experience. The thing with Vladdy is that he's so naturally talented that it's pretty clear that for for years in the minor leagues, he was just able to rely on that natural talent and that natural gift that he has. And the majors are a different league. They're the, it's the hardest league in the world. The pitchers are better. Everyone is better. And so as much as he's talented, he's obviously so very talented, but I think that this year really taught him that he needs to work a little bit more. He needs to sort of add, you know, more strength and uh, just kind of, build that durability that will 
allow him to play a, a full season, like a one, like, I don't know that he'll play 162 just because a lot of guys get a few off days, but he sort of made um, it a goal for himself to be able to be a player that played 162. So towards the end of the season, um, he talked about wanting to get in better condition this off season, work harder this off season so that he can come in next year more prepared to play that 162. And the Blue Jays sort of doubled down on that and through comments from general manager Ross Atkins, they also kind of explicitly said that they want to see Vlad come to spring training this year in better shape than he was last year at spring training. So they sort of let him know what their expectations are of him. And I think that he seems to be totally on board with that. And actually I was scrolling through Instagram today and uh, I saw Ryan Barucki post a story and he was working out at the facility in Dunedin and uh, Vladdy was there working out with him as was Rowdy Telez. So it does look like that off season workout um, program is going on right now. Um, And again, like you said, it was all a learning experience for him this year. And I think that the fatigue probably was a factor towards the end of the season, and that's why he's probably going to be working very hard this offseason to prevent that from happening going for going forward. I'm glad you brought up Ryan Brucky's name because he's somebody we saw a couple of times on rehab here in Buffalo this past year. He had such a meteoric rise to the organization. Uh, the big league debut in 2018, his first big league win out in Seattle. It was a a very good 2018, and then you know in spring training this past year. He was throwing the ball harder and something he attributed to just not not being, you know, in the length of a season yet, just sort of because his arm was so fresh, he was throwing harder. But he was one of those guys that was going to to, to be maybe a bottom rotation or start here in Buffalo, but uh, a piece that the Blue Jays didn't have for the rotation uh, last season. What do you see, anticipate for maybe Ryan going forward and not knowing what the rotation could maybe look like next year, but but where he maybe fits into the plans of 2020. Yeah, Ryan Barucki, I remember writing something at the start of the season, basically kind of trying to map out what a successful season would look like for Blue Jays. And one of the points was that this is a season for Ryan Barucki to establish himself as a major leaguer. Of course, we know that didn't happen because he missed most of the season with the elbow injury um, that he had. So I think the Blue Jays rotation next year is so up in the air. It's really hard to even say who's a certainty for the rotation because down the stretch, they just relied on all of their young starters. They're losing some pitchers to free agency. Obviously, Clay Buckles is going to be a free agent. There's someone like Matt Shoemaker who the Blue Jays could choose to um, bring back either through arbitration or they could sort of non-tender him and then sign him to a new contract. I would think the Blue Jays seem pretty interested in bringing Matt Shoemaker back. But beyond that, you have some young guys. You have like Trent Thornton, who kind of established himself this year, had a strong rookie season in that he pitched the entire season, led the team in starts. And then you have someone like Ryan Brecky, who, like you said, was expected to be that kind of back of the rotation kind of arm for the Blue Jays. I think that he is expected to be healthy come next spring training and he's still very much in the conversation of being in the starting rotation um where 
what happens this offseason will kind of determine how many spots are up for grabs. If, if we say that, you know, Shoemaker comes back and then the Blue Jays pursue maybe two free agents or a free agent and a trade um, to bring in two starters, and then you have two open spots for five-man rotation, you'd sort of slot in the names like Trent Thornton, Buraki, Wegas back, um, you know, maybe Pannone competes in there, Sean Foley. Like, you have a few of those young guys that can compete for a spot, and I think Ryan Burke is kind of right in the middle of that, assuming that all um, everything goes fine this offseason and he's totally healthy next spring. You know, re in reading your piece for The Athletic Matt, and seeing Matt Shoemaker's name, it was one of those that, to me, not that he was forgotten, but the injury to his ACL happened so early in the season, and it just... I would have loved to have seen what a veteran like that would have done all year long, not only in the rotation, but uh, just being in the clubhouse from April till September and somebody that the young guys could have learned from all year long. And I know he was around at times uh, after his injury, but um, I don't know how you feel about that. But I, I just feel like he it would have that was a nice signing by the Blue Jays. And if if, if it had worked out. Uh, it would have paid dividends just beyond wins, losses, you know, ERA, and all the things you can tell on the on the baseball diamond. Yeah, I think you're right because we saw like with pit, like pitchers this year, um, Clayton Richard and Clay Buckholtz were huge um, mentors for a lot of the young players, pitchers, and position players included, and even a guy like Justin Smoke, who is sort of not not hugely vocal, but vocal enough that the young guys really leaned on him to advise them how to, you know, go day-to-day -day in the major leagues and how to succeed and how to go about your business and all that stuff. So, like you said, Matt Shoemaker was around a little bit, and he did spend some time, um, you know, in Florida rehabbing, and he was also rehabbing in his home in Detroit. Um, but he was around a little bit, and some guys did mention him as uh, someone that they enjoy talking to and could lean on for mentorship. But I think you're right. If he was in the rotation all year, he really would have had a major impact. And I think that's probably why the Blue Jays are still kind of interested in bringing him back next year. Obviously, they own his arbitration rights, so they can bring him back that way or sign him to a new contract. And, you know, he did look so promising. It was only like a handful of starts, but five starts or so this season until he went down in late April but he looked great he looked like you know it was early on but he looked like he was on track for an all-star type season or a, certainly a bounce back season after so many years of injury for him so it was really unfortunate to see him go down I think the only like sort of silver lining of it is um that he did look good it wasn't an injury to his arm in any way it was sort of a freak injury uh with of course like tearing his ACL in a rundown so He's back. I think pitching, his rehab is done. And so now it's just a matter of, you know, Blue Jays deciding if they want to bring him back or not, and then him getting his shape spring training. And as we look towards free agency, what what is a realistic, um, where should Blue Jays fans maybe put their realistic options at, um, whether it be top top of the line pitchers or, or the next tier of guys, where do you think the Blue Jays will look towards? And, you know, it's, I have to imagine uh, getting a pitcher to go into to Toronto is a little bit different than uh, other places in the big league. So having to, not, I don't know if sell the player on, on pitching in Toronto is the right way to phrase it, but uh, that extra little step that it takes to, to get somebody to come to Toronto. 
Yeah, I think so. I think like Toronto has some factors working against it to attract free agents, one of which is they can't control it, it's just geography. Some free agents might not want to come to Canada. Um, that's just reality. There's also the fact that the Blue Jays are coming off a season where they lost a lot more than they won. And, you know, I think there's probably, depending on who they sign and how this offseason plays out, I think there should be some improvement next season. But, again, they're still in that early stages of the rebuilding stage. So, you know, you're going to have to sell a free agent probably on an overall plan or process or like five-year outlook kind of thing. You're not exactly signing a free agent to say we're World Series contenders next season. So that's something that they also have to factor in when they're trying to sign guys. Who they'll go for, I know Derek Cole is tempting, but he's going to have his pick of where he goes. He's going to be the premier guy available, and I just don't see a guy like that coming to Toronto at the same time. The Blue Jays do have money to spend. Um, They've indicated that they're looking to shop in a more premium aisle this season or this offseason, and, you know, they've indicated that their offseason will look more like offseasons in 2015, the winter of 2015, and the winter of 2016. Um, Winter of 2015, they signed guys like Jay Happ, to a three-year deal. They signed Estrada to a deal. So I would say, like, they're probably looking at guys, like, of that tier back when they were back in 2015. Someone like Jake Odorizzi is someone that I can see the Blue Jays pursuing. Um, Even someone like Zach Wheeler, maybe there's a chance there, again, because the Blue Jays have the option of maybe overspending or being able to offer a more creative contract in that they have the money to spend. Then there's also guys that could be sort of rebound candidates. We've seen the Blue Jays, again, like Matt Shoemaker, like have success finding guys that are due for a rebound. So, I mean, Wade Miley had a good season up until the very end where he kind of went off the rails. He's a guy that might interest the Blue Jays. Someone like Rick Porcello, uh, you know, he will be a free agent. He hasn't had the greatest seasons the last while, but again, he's a a former Cy Young winner, so maybe that's a guy. Uh, I also looked at, um, you know, trades, like a trade for David Price. We see the Boston Red Sox want to shed some of their salary, and David Price is due to make a lot more money. Um, He's a guy that's familiar with the AL East, that's familiar with Toronto, would the Blue Jays want to pursue something like that? You know, using their flexibility and um, trading, because like you said, getting free agents to come here might be a challenge. So trading, the trade route might be an, a more uh, enticing option for the Blue Jays. And when you talk about pitching, it, it doesn't get lost on me that you look at the playoffs this past year and how many pitchers in bullpens we're in Toronto at some point this year. You look at a guy like Javi Guerra, who was pitching uh, in the World Series with the Nationals, Daniel Hudson. You know, there's, there's, uh, there are a lot of pitchers sprinkled throughout uh, the teams left in the postseason, and that might be something that the Blue Jays look at now that to restock for, for the bullpen and bring in some veterans. So what are you maybe thinking bullpen-wise that Toronto, whether it be free agents, trades, whatever, or even just guys in the minors that, that maybe help round out uh, a pitching staff in 2020? Yeah, I think the Blue Jays, one of their sort of success stories of the last, this recent era, have been finding bullpen guys that end up being something. So looking back at like last year, Sun Wan Oh was a, 
player who was coming off uh, sort of a down season. The Blue Jays signed him, and he had a great season for them, and then he was traded at the deadline. Daniel Hudson was the same kind of story this year. He was with the Angels. He was cut in spring training. The Blue Jays signed him. He kind of figured himself out with the Blue Jays and ended up obviously being a huge piece for the Washington Nationals. Other guys like John Axford was another guy who the Blue Jays signed, and he ended up pitching well enough for them that they could trade him at the deadline. So they've been pretty good at finding those kinds of arms on the sort of on the fringes maybe or just sort of like outliers, um, guys that are due for maybe rebounding seasons, and they've been able to find that. A name that sticks out for me in terms of in the organization already who could take a bigger role, someone like Thomas Pannone, the Blue Jays lost to Meza at the end of the season, obviously with Tommy John surgery, that injury that he suffered um, in late September. So he's out for all of next season. And the Blue Jays are going to want to have that that lefty in their bullpen, and Thomas Pannone can be that guy. We saw him perform much better as a reliever in the majors this year as opposed to a starter. I know he looked good as a starter for Buffalo this year, but for whatever reason, he was just more comfortable coming out of the bullpen with Toronto this year. He's a guy, I think, that could um, – find a nice role in the bullpen this year for Toronto. And I was interested in some of Thomas's comments towards the end of the season, because I remember when I talked to him here at the first time he was back in Buffalo, he talked about being sharper between the ears uh, going into this year. And, you know, his, the plan for him was to be a starter and start in Buffalo, but injuries, um, what, how he pitched in spring training, it meant that he was going to be in the big leagues and be a reliever for the most part. So it takes mental toughness for a pitcher to kind of change on the fly like that. Um, And I thought that showed a lot for him. And even his fastball at this level was better than it was the year prior. So he was a guy that I was really impressed with in 2019, not only for what he did on the field, but some of the adjustments he made just because of out of necessity with Toronto last year. Yeah, I think he showed uh, like a lot of maturity to be able to adapt to those different roles. And, you know, it is a different mentality as a starter and as a reliever. And for whatever reason, it was just, I guess, because you know you're going out for a shorter amount of time as a reliever, that maybe he was able to show his stuff a little bit better than as a starter. You know, um, so I think he's, like I said before, he's a guy that I would, uh, I would bet is, in the conversation um, for he's probably like has an off chance of being a starter still. I don't think the Blue Jays will totally rule it out. But if you look at a guy like Sam Gavilio, right? Like he was a starter for the Blue Jays for a while. And then he was um, a, a reliever and he was one of their, um, you know, workhorses this year out of the bullpen. And I think Panone kind of has that um, capability. He can be a long man. It also is uh, advantageous for him that he's a lefty. So I think that he is a, a great candidate for the Blue Jays to explore in that bullpen role, whether it's kind of like a swing man, whether he can make a spot start here and there, whether he goes, he's the long man for the bullpen, but he can also be that situational lefty that you need sometimes. So much of these players that we're talking about have come through the organization and developed, or whether it be Thomas Pannone in, in a trade acquired from the Indians a couple of years ago, the big trade right before the deadline this year was uh, Marcus Stroman to the New York Mets. Anthony Kay was one of the pieces brought back um, in the trade. He had success here in Buffalo. It translated to some success in the big leagues as well. How, the de- how about the development of just players here in the minor leagues 
contributing to the big league success of Toronto going forward and how much um, that may be relied upon when you add pieces to your starting rotation or add free agents here or there. How much do you see the development in the minor leagues kind of supplementing a lot of that additional talent going forward? Yeah, I think that it's obviously a huge factor. I remember talking to um, Anthony Kay and some of the coaches down in Buffalo, and they were talking about sort of making some adjustments. And I think Anthony Kay, for example, really benefited from a different set of eyes because he came from a different organization with the Mets, obviously, and then a different set of eyes. The Toronto Blue Jays organization can look at his pitching and sort of find ways to improve or refine. And I think Anthony Kay sort of benefited from that. And it's probably beneficial to have some success in the minor league. Someone like TJ Zoic, who missed uh, the start of the season, but came on strong towards the end of the year. He obviously had that no hitter for you guys, which was a, a great feat for him. And then he came up to the majors and, and the thing with the Blue Jays organization, which is um, sort of different from some other organizations, I guess when you're rebuilding is that the young players can see their opportunity. They know it's there sometimes you're in an organization where they're World Series contenders, they might have a rotation that's so strong that some guys in the minors know there's no way we can crack it right now. With the Blue Jays, all those young starters, and, you know, the list is, what, like six or seven, eight deep, they knew they had a chance to pitch at the major league level. Maybe that adds some motivation, you know. Maybe they see if your guy like, um, Anthony Kay or TJ Zoik, and you saw fellow um, Buffalo Bisons like someone like Jacob Wegesback succeed at the major league level, and he was a uh, with the Bisons just a few weeks earlier. You know, you can see uh, you can see the path to the majors. Um, you can see your path to success, and I think that's also sort of a motivating factor right now um, for the Bisons and for the Blue Jays players. Now, Caitlin, I've, I've enjoyed this conversation with you today. I want to finish on on one last thing. I know you come from a tennis background covering tennis and they've had replay as far as I can remember watching uh, casually for quite a while now and replay and the robot uh, strike zone has been such a hot button topic over the last several months, especially in this world series. Where do you maybe see um, now that the, the strike zone with the TrackMan system has been implemented in the Atlantic League. They're, they tested a little bit. Major League Baseball did in the Fall League. Where do you maybe see the elements of replay going? And what 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 has made it so successful in, in tennis, where you don't see as much of the 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 complaining or the the back and forth that you do in a lot of these other major sports? Yeah, well, with tennis, you have sort of the the Hawkeye system, or you know, judging whether a, a ball was in or out. So it can be just definitive, right? You go to the replay. The I don't know how the technology works, to be honest, but for however the technology works, it can just identify whether the ball was in or out, and there's no question about it. Um, you know, and players get challenge or get a certain amount of uh, challenges that they can use. I don't know what the answer is for baseball because I can see the side of it saying there is some charm. It is traditional for there to be the human element in baseball. At the same time, we have the technology to get the calls right. So why wouldn't we use the technology to get the calls right? I wonder if there's some kind of hybrid kind of um, agreement that you could come to or some kind of way where in which umpires could have the electronic strike 
don't at their disposal, but make the judge come call themselves, you know, mm-hmm. um, maybe something, I, I don't know exactly how the technology works. I've read a little bit about it, but as far as I understand it, kind of the strike zone is, um, determined electronically and then there's still an up behind there and he's ultimately making the call. So maybe there's some kind of hybrid um, version where you could refer to the electronic strike zone, but an umpire would still make the final call, something like that. It's, it's ultimately something that major league is going to have to decide on. Players will have to decide on players will have to vote on it, all that kind of stuff. It's not going away anytime soon, but I think that, you know, you don't want to have a World Series that is totally remembered for a call that was wrong. You know, something, and I think there was risk of that happening uh, this year. So that's not something that would be good for the game. And I think that we have all this technology. We should probably find a way to use it. And uh, like you said, other sports have found success in using that to determine the right calls and the wrong calls. Thanks once again to Caitlin for joining us here in the Power Alley today and throughout the offseason and heading into 2020, you can follow along with Caitlin at The Athletic as she regularly keeps us up to date on the latest day in and day out for the Toronto Blue Jays. Thank you for joining us here in the Power Alley this week. I'm your host, Pat Mellicaro. We'll talk to you next time here in the Power Alley.